Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. Kids were stupid, too. They're always stupid. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. This week's program is brought to you by Agnes's Bookstore, featuring all the penny dreadfuls, gothic romances, and alternative historical biographies you could ever want. It also features the city's largest occult selection, which makes sense since Agnes is a quite capable witch, and when she's in a good mood, sometimes offers tarot readings in the cafe. Yes, and her tarot readings are by far the best you can hope for. I mean, truth be told, if you want the most proficient tarot divination, you should perform a tarot play. You, you each choose a tarot character to embody, all agree on a certain collective desire, and then begin an improv, and lo and behold, you will end up enacting the course of events. Although... Based on how the course of events turn out, this could be quite dangerous. You, you don't want to know the future of the city, only to find out there's a coup or some murderous betrayal, and one of you ends up... Um... You know what? Forget I mentioned it. Agnes's Bookstore, one of my favorite places in the city. And here's a little-known fact. Agnes's Bookstore is a destination for many of the connoisseurs across the continent, in no small part because of her secret back room of rare and unwritten books. Agnes has a collection of books that are most certainly not from this timeline. That's because she has an interest in both witchcraft and thievery. Takes after her mother there. She has pulled off successful heists from the Akashic Library itself. Not an easy task, I can assure you, having quite a bit of experience breaking into extra-dimensional pockets myself. What? How can you not know the Akashic Library? It's the library in the Collective Unconscious. Fascinating place. Well, I have been. Yes, some time ago. Ravy and I spent an afternoon there once in our younger days. Well, there are librarians. No, they're not they're not human. Some humans who inadvertently visit there return claiming that they're angels, but they're not angels. We'll have a little talk sometime about what that even means. No, they're supra-dimensional beings. Those are the dimensions above us. Yes past Elysium. Why are we even talking about this? Ah, yes. Agnes's Bookstore. If you like books, you will literally orgasm. If you don't, you are an idiot and please go away. Actually, that, that's a fairly good tagline. All right, there's our pandering selling out for today. We now present the next chapter in our ongoing tale, Michael and the Monster, Part 3. Michael went down into a hole beneath a tree. The hole was obviously large, and as he climbed down, it grew larger and larger. 
It had been made for adult-sized creatures to come in and out of, specifically for Michael's monster to exit into the upper world and bring other adult humans back down. The hole was dark, pitch black, and while Michael had entered feeling angry and committed to following his friend and betrayer, the longer he went downward into the darkness, the more he was starting to question the wisdom of his actions and just how committed he was to following a black, hairy monster into a subterranean lair. He was about to stop and turn back, get some of the adults to do this part, when he began to see light in the distance. Sure enough, just a bit further down were little beads of phosphorescence dotting the walls of the passage. He was in a tall, sloping tunnel that just kept going and going downwards, the floor was littered with random shiny objects and odd personal keepsakes. Michael could almost swear he heard some type of music coming from far off, but it was indescribable. Unlike anything he had heard or imagined before, the phosphorescence was beautiful, and as eerie as the tunnel was, it was undeniably beautiful, and out of simple fascination, Michael continued on. He felt like he was entering a dream. The tunnel kept going and going. The sound became clear. It was definitely music of some sort, but not made by or for human ears. Eventually, the tunnel led into a larger cavern, and Michael arrived at the subterranean city of the gnomes. The cavern he came to was enormous, and only the first of many, the phosphorus was everywhere, arranged into all sorts of patterns, sometimes designating paths, sometimes meant to light specific areas. The gnome city didn't have buildings as Michael understood it. The entire cave system functioned as cover. There were all sizes of mushrooms, however, some incredibly large with doorways leading in and out. There were rocks and stalagmites and stalactites that had been shaped by unguessable means into mazes and passages and rooms and all manner of design. Their purpose was often unguessable. It was immediately obvious that Michael was dealing with a non-human species and culture whose decisions and expressions followed forms of logic not instinctive to people. There were mushroom stairways leading to high-up rock rooms, there were areas of the city on the walls themselves, as if the gnomes could casually stroll upon the walls ignoring gravity. There were species that looked like a bat-beetle hybrid with saddles upon them that pulled a trail of what could only be described as fluffy marshmallows. All across this bizarre underground metropolis, the little gnome creatures scurried about. In some areas, they chanted or danced in ritual swirls. Some avenues were small and narrow, only accessible to the tiny beings. Other avenues were large and wide, easily traversable by larger creatures, like, say, the black monster. Michael followed these and hoped for the best. The gnomes seemed to pay him no mind, although as he walked down their otherworldly streets and twisting pathways, he stood out like a visiting alien. It would be a very long time before Michael would ever know what a roller coaster was, much less the twisting metal ones that spun in corkscrews and manic spirals and turns. When he first encountered one, he would think back to this experience 
and how the gnome's sprawling city went along the cave and its various rooms and caverns exactly like just such a roller coaster. Its paths and mazes spun out onto the walls, paying no heed to gravity or straight lines. They twisted up to the right, then suddenly down to the left, branching in two directions, up and down, and meeting back again further down the cavern. It was dizzying and confusing, and Michael was soon lost. He realized he had made a grave error coming down here. He was helpless, alone, and trapped in an utterly alien world, and if the gnomes decided to kill him, there was little he could do. So he did the only thing there was to do. He kept following the monster. It shambled up ahead of him, much further than he could quickly catch up, but just close enough to remain in sight. It led him through the wandering maze of mushrooms and phosphorescence and odd little buildings made out of odd organic material Michael couldn't identify. It led him through caverns both vast and narrow. The chanting of the gnomes was constant, but it changed as he moved through different areas and caverns. A smoky incense hit his nose, sweet and pungent, like the smell of burning mushrooms, and as he trod through it, his head became thick and his thoughts jumbled. His depression gave way to fear as the lights became bright and dizzying. He knew then that he would never escape, that he would never see his family again, and that all he loved was gone. Despite it all, he started giggling. There were sounds and smells and odd perspectives that produced confusion and occasionally moments of panic. There were also, unbeknownst to him, microscopic spores from mushrooms lingering in the air which he was breathing in and which were further disorienting him in ways much deeper and psychological. Madness is a blanket term that is actually in some ways meaningless. There are various conditions, some genetic, some physiological, some caused by stress and environment, all of which can differ and manifest uniquely. However, insofar as the generic signifier of madness can, in a pinch, be used to convey a very crass and base concept, we could say, for simplicity's sake, that Michael was experiencing the first stages of madness. In truth, his disorientation and existential panic was causing real psychological cracks that would have real physiological consequences. The monster eventually shambled into a smaller cavern off to the side. Michael followed until he stood at the entranceway, and in his state of confusion watched what unfolded. The monster dumped the body in the center of the room. There were all sorts of strange drawings all about the cavern, including bizarre shapes and stars and circles on the floor, like some ritual of decadent wizards. Gnomes were gathered in here and stood in a large semicircle around the center where the body was deposited. Upon the far wall was a large circle painted with a hypnotic mandala. The songs the gnomes sung grew to a fevered pitch and they began drawing upon the unconscious man. They cut him in a hundred tiny cuts and drew little tiny drops of blood. They mixed this blood in a cauldron and sued the cuts with strange smelly substances. The song and the smoke made the room seem like an entire reality unto itself, the center of its own universe. Finally, the gnomes filled a large cup with the liquid from the cauldron and fed it to the man. He drank it, and shortly about began to heave. 
He threw up, and all of the gnomes suddenly leapt upon him, covering him. The high buzzing that had been so present that it had faded into background noise became loud and unignorable. Deep, low, thunderous cracks sounded from beyond the cavern walls. Smoke poured out of the body and filled the cavern, getting into Michael's mouth and nose and causing him to cough and hack, eyes watering. The light became so bright that Michael was blinded. A sound like a rip in space hurt his ears, and when Michael could finally see again, there was no more man, but another monster. The gnomes weren't finished. They had odd gear they put onto this new monster, gear that Michael realized was a saddle, capable of carrying numerous gnomes. As some of the gnomes climbed into this saddle, the song kept building, the discordant melody swirling and crescendoing, the circle of gnomes threw pieces of phosphorus onto the mandala in the opposing wall. The monster was now saddled and ready to go, and the song built into nothing but pure screaming. The circle of gnomes screamed and screamed, and the pieces of phosphorus that clung to the mandala burned and blazed and finally exploded. The song stopped. The mandala was gone. An ethereal roaring, like the sound of outer space, came from beyond the mandala. It was now a window. A window into some kind of realm that made no sense. It was like a place outside of reality, where long, thick cords stretched into various directions. Colors Michael couldn't identify were in there. The gnomes aboard the new monster cracked the reins, and the monster ran and leapt into this window, straight into the strange world on the other side. Michael was consumed by madness and fear and wonder. He wasn't in his right mind. He didn't know why he did it, but he too ran. He ran into the room, past the gnomes, and he too leapt into the gaping window behind the new monster. He leapt into the window, past which was a realm far more insane than the one he was in a place beyond where even creatures of magic fear to tread. Well now, now we're getting somewhere. This has been this week's episode of Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. We leave you now with a cover song performed by one of the invaluable members of the New Albion Orchestra. Yoshimi She's a black belt in karate Working for the city She has to discipline her body Cause she knows that It's demanding To defeat the machines I know she can beat them oh Yoshimi they don't believe me but you won't let those 
Robots eat me, oh you she me They don't believe me And you won't let those Robots defeat me Those evil-natured robots They're programmed to destroy us Be strong to fight them. So she's taking lots of vitamins. Cause she knows that it'd be tragic if those evil robots swim. I know she can beat them. Oh, you she they don't believe me But you won't let those Robots eat me Oh, you see me They don't believe me But you won't let those Robots defeat me She's a black belt in karate Working for the city She has to discipline her body Cause she knows that It'd be tragic If those evil robots win No, she can beat them. Oh, you she me. They don't believe me. But you won't let those robots defeat me. Oh, you she me. They don't believe me. But you won't let those robots eat me. Oh, you she me. don't believe me but you won't let those robots win